Welcome to the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on Sunday, September 8th, 2019, on the basis of Luke 14, verses 1 and 7 through 14. If you've ever taken your seat at a formal dinner, and you did so from the right side of the chair instead of the left, or you got up from your seat and went to the left instead of the right, If you've ever unfolded your napkin and placed it on your lap before the host or the hostess of the meal, at the start of the meal or at the finish of the meal, taken that napkin and put it on your plate when you're done. If anyone has ever asked you to pass the salt at a meal and you passed them the salt instead of passing the salt and the pepper together. If you've ever gotten up from a meal to go to the restroom and announced to everyone that was your intention, if you've ever cut up an entire piece of meat instead of just one or maybe two bites at a time at the most, if you've ever done any of those things, then you have grossly violated the proper rules of etiquette. And if you've ever done any of those things, I'm guessing it was okay. I'm guessing it wasn't a big deal. In fact, I'm guessing that no one even said anything, that no one called attention to your embarrassing faux pas or made that mistake the topic of conversation for the rest of the evening. In fact, if they did that, that would be worse than the mistake you made in the first place. That would be the quickest and the surest way to have bad manners and to ruin everyone's evening. Which makes it so surprising that that's exactly what we see our Savior Jesus doing in these verses. Jesus has been invited to this formal dinner. And as he sits down to eat, he noticed the guests at that dinner doing some things that, that on the one hand aren't really proper etiquette. They're sort of rude. They're sort of bad manners. But on the other hand, they seem to be pretty common and therefore probably not a big deal. Everything would have been fine, except Jesus had to say something. Jesus called attention to it. In fact, Jesus made it the top of, topic of conversation for the rest of the evening that night. And rest assured, it wasn't because Jesus was so concerned about people having good manners or proper etiquette. No, it's because Jesus was concerned about something much more important. He was concerned about humility. In the same way, Jesus is still very much concerned about humility. I think at times we might be tempted to think about humility as if it's sort of nothing more than good manners or proper etiquette. Maybe it's sort of like those seven pieces of silverware that are sitting around your place setting. And if you know in which order they're supposed to be used, that's great. But if you don't, that's probably going to be fine too. If you happen to be a humble person, if your life is full of humility, that's probably nice. But if not, if you struggle with it a little bit, that's probably okay too. Jesus would very much say the opposite. Once again, we're going to see today that the world is going to be divided by Jesus, divided between those who are humble and those who are humbled. And it's not because Jesus is so concerned about good manners. It's because humility is a vital part, not just of our human interactions, it's a vital part of our relationship with God. As we look at these verses from Luke chapter 14 today, we're going to see that humility is much more than just good etiquette. Humility is absolutely essential. So what exactly is humility? I think we're tempted to think that being a humble person means having a really low opinion of yourself and being the opposite means having a very high 
opinion of yourself. But that really doesn't get to the heart of the issue. You see, by nature, each and every one of us is, is meant to crave a, a certain status, a certain approval, a certain level of, of reputation and recognition. And we really have two options when it comes to those things. On the one hand, we can make achieving those things our own responsibility. We can make them our concern. We can make them our life's quest. That if I'm going to be known as a smart person or a witty or funny person or a talented person or a good-looking person or a successful person, then that is up to me. That rests in my hands. The alternative, of course, is to think just the opposite, to not be concerned about those things, to not make those things our life's pursuit. See, the reality is that when someone has a very high opinion of themselves or a very low opinion of themselves, those are really just two sides of the very same coin. Whether I am self-adoring or self-despising, in either case, I am self-obsessed. But to be humble means the opposite of that. Not to be self-obsessed, but to be self-oblivious. To be self-forgetful and entirely other-focused. Well, as Jesus is at this formal dinner gathering, he notices two very telltale signs of people who lack humility. On the one hand, when it comes time for everybody to sit down, he notices how all of the guests are kind of jockeying for the, the seat of honor, the best place around the table. Apparently, these people had no problem being rude and treating each other poorly as long as it benefited them. On the other hand, Jesus looks around and he notices that this dinner gathering consists of, of a great group of friends, sort of all the, all the movers and shakers, all the rich and wealthy elite in that town. And so Jesus notices that, on the other hand, these people have no problem treating each other very, very well, but only, again, as long as it benefits them. That by taking turns, inviting each other over, and spreading these lavish feasts for one another, really they are the ones who all stand to benefit. Not only do they get to belong to this circle of social elites, but if, if they host the party this weekend, what does that mean about next weekend? Someone else is going to do the same. So seemingly opposite behaviors and yet both signs of a complete lack of humility. So where might we see similar symptoms of the same problem today? Probably doesn't take a lot of work to think of some examples where we have no problem treating other people poorly as long as it benefits us. That in the very same way that they were rushing to get the best seats around the table, we might rush to get the best seat in the boardroom or in the classroom, all depending on where it is and who it's sitting next to. On the other hand, we probably don't need to think of, it, it isn't too difficult to think of examples of where we love to treat people well, but again, as long as it benefits us. That we'll go way out of our way and, and maybe even suck up a little bit to the boss or to the teacher or to the most popular kid in school because we know that we're the ones that stand to benefit Probably not too difficult to come up with some similar examples, and yet I, I think this problem of self-obsession goes much, much deeper than that. In fact, just this past week, I, I suddenly caught, I, I caught myself, noticed myself trapped in this trap of self-obsession. We were watching the Packer game on Thursday night, and I was involved in a little text thread just among, among some friends, and we were exchanging different comments, some of them serious, some of them not so serious as the game went along. And I had a comment that I, I thought was pretty funny and pretty clever, and instantly the thought that popped into my head was, I should take that comment and I should go post it on Facebook. <laughs> Where in the world does a thought like that come from? Is it because I love 
my friends on Facebook so much that I would not dream of depriving them of the joy of laughing at this wonderfully funny comment that I made. No, of course not. It's not because I was looking to do something for them. It's because somewhere deep down inside, I knew that they could do something for me. That if I posted that funny comment, or I post that picture of my family, or I post that not-so-humble brag about something that's going on in my life, then I'll get the likes, and I'll get the thumbs up, and I'll get the loves, and I'll get the laughs, and I'll get the comments that make me feel as though I'm the smart, I'm the funny, I'm the witty, I'm the successful, I'm the kind of person who has it all put together, I'm the kind of person that has the perfect family, and finally, my goal of achieving that status, that approval, that recognition will be realized. And of course, make no mistake, Facebook is is not really the problem. Social media is not the problem. I think they do have a pretty good job of exposing the problem, this problem of a lack of humility, this problem of our own natural self-obsession. So Jesus notices that going on at this dinner, and he wants to help these people. He wants to help us escape from that self-obsession. And so that's when he says this rule that he lays out about humility. He says, all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. In other words, you really have two options in life. On the one hand, you can choose to try and exalt yourself, but if you do that, you will be humbled. On the other hand, you can choose willingly to humble yourself, and in that case, you will be exalted. That's the rule that Jesus lays out. Ah, but rules always have exceptions, don't they? I demonstrated that with the kids before. Rules are meant to be broken. And of course, when we say things like that, we're, of course, hoping to be the ones who are the exceptions, the ones who get to do the breaking. I know that that sign says, road work ahead, local traffic only, but boy, I'm really in a hurry. And the detour is really, really long and out of the way, so I'm sure no one will mind if I just kind of sneak my way through. In the same way, we might be tempted to think that we could possibly be the exception to the rule that Jesus lays down. And yet notice what Jesus says. He says, all those who exalt themselves, all those who try and get the approval and the affirmation that they are after, all who try and make that their own responsibility will be humbled. In contrast, all those who humble themselves will be exalted. No exceptions. Not even me. Not even you. In fact, I think the world around us gets this to a certain extent. Even human wisdom and everyday experience teach us the very same thing. In fact, maybe you notice that that's where Jesus started with these dinner guests. He said, say you go to a wedding. I know wedding season in Wisconsin is pretty much over for the year, but if you were invited to a wedding this past summer, if you've been to a wedding in your life, I'm guessing that when you got to the dinner, the thing that you didn't do was go right up to the head table, right where the the bride and groom are sitting, and take a seat right next to them. If you had, what do you think would have happened? Um, Cousin Fred. Cousin Fred on my mother's side. Third cousin, Fred, twice removed. Um, this is kind of awkward, but this is the head table. And, and your seat is the one way back in the room, the one right by the door to the bathroom. Table 27, yeah, that's where you're supposed to be. Even human experience and worldly wisdom get this. In fact, I, I mentioned Facebook before. Some of us are old enough to remember that there was actually a time when Facebook existed without the like buttons. In the early days, you could post a status update or you could put a picture out there and people could comment on it, but that was the extent of their reaction. It wasn't until 2009 
that the famous like button was added. And it wasn't until 2016 that all of the other reactions, the, the love, the angry face, the sad face, the laughing face, that those were added. In other words, Facebook has kind of slowly de- evolved from what it once was to what it is today, which is an ideal factory for people to try and generate the status and the affirmation that they are so desperately after. Well, do you know what Facebook is thinking about doing now? They're thinking about getting rid of all of it. They're thinking about getting rid of the likes, which is incredible when you think about it because it's those likes that keep people glued to their screens and thus enables Facebook to make millions and millions of dollars selling advertising. They are still thinking of getting rid of the likes. Do you know why? Mental health. More and more we are realizing that when our lives revolve around this quest to get the affirmation and the status and the approval that we so desperately crave, it does terrible, terrible damage. If getting those things is our responsibility, it can and will destroy us. Even worldly wisdom, even everyday experience are teaching us these things. So why don't we listen to Jesus' rule? Why is it so hard to escape this trap of self-obsession? Might I suggest that it's found in one sort of teeny tiny but very, very important aspect of the grammar of the rule that Jesus lays out. Jesus says, everyone who humbles themselves will be exalted. Will be exalted. In your middle school English class, you maybe remember learning that in the English language, we call that verb, we say that that verb is in the passive voice. A verb that is in the passive voice is one where the action of the verb is not being done by the subject of the verb. Instead, the action of the verb is being done to the subject of the verb by someone else, which, of course, naturally causes us to ask the question, by whom? All those who humble themselves will be exalted. By whom? If we are going to take this status, this affirmation, this approval, this recognition that we by nature crave and not make it our concern and not make it our responsibility, not make it the focus of our life's pursuit, in whose hands are we placing it? Who are we handing it over to? And that's what makes it such a wonderful and beautiful thing that this rule that Jesus lays out has no exceptions. Whoever humbles themselves will be exalted. Whoever exalts themselves will be humbled. No exceptions. Not you, not me, not even Jesus. This rule that Jesus lays out for us is the very rule that he came to fully embody. Even though by right, the seat that belonged to him was the ultimate seat of honor. It was the seat at the right hand of God, even though that was his seat. Do you know the seat he chose? Well, he gave up that throne and instead chose the seat of a cattle trough at his birth. He gave up that throne and instead chose the seat of a cross at his death, the ultimate humiliation. Instead of that seat, he chose as his seat a tomb, a place in the very ground that you and I deserve to have as our resting place. He humbled himself. He willingly took the seat of lowest honor, the seat that we deserved. And as a result of that humbling of himself, what happened? Exactly what Jesus' rule says is going to happen. He was exalted. Three days later, God the Father raised him up from the grave, and 
eventually again seated him at his right hand. And that exaltation, friends, is not just great news for Jesus. That exaltation is great news for you and me too. Jesus humbled himself as one of us and for all of us, which means that Jesus has now been exalted as one of us and for all of us. The very same exaltation, all the glory, all the honor in all the world that he now enjoys is the exaltation that is fully and freely available to us. It's just sitting there ready and waiting for all those who are willing to trust their exaltation to him rather than putting it in their own hands. Friends, that's our escape. That's our way out of this prison of self-obsession. That's what makes it possible for us not to care about which parking spot we get or whether the corner office is ours or whether we get the seat at the cafeteria table that's around all of the popular kids. That's what sets us free from not treating other people poorly if it benefits us. That's what sets us free from not treating other people well only and if it benefits us. Friends, in Christ Jesus, the God of the universe has reached down to us in our lowly position and said, friend, come up here. I've got a wonderful seat for you. In fact, in our baptisms, he clothed us with a robe of righteousness, a robe that signals our status in his family. Our status not as servants in his house, our status not as guests in his house, but our status as sons and daughters in that house. In Holy Communion, he delights to invite us over to his house and lay before us this lavish bread. And whether in a particular company you happen to be the CEO or the parking lot attendant, there is a spot for you at that meal. He loves to feed you with heaven's best food and drink. Friends, why in the world would we make it our own responsibility to get the status and the affirmation that we so desperately crave when even if we would achieve it, it's just a cheap imitation of what God wants to give us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. In fact, there might even be times when it seems like you're the exception to Jesus' rule. When it seems as though you've achieved all of the status and all of the affirmation that you could possibly ever want, when you've got a thousand friends and a thousand likes and a thousand followers on Facebook, when you've got all the popularity and all the recognition that you could ever possibly want, friends, even then, when it seems like you might be the exception to Jesus' rule, trust me, you're not. Because no matter what we might achieve, it will all be very, very humble compared to just how much in Christ Jesus God wants to exalt us. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.